Today in Business from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy to use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60 day trial at shipstation.com slash tech news. That's shipstation.com slash tech news. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Today in business from Wired. Startup T2 wants to terminate Twitter. Co-founder Gabor Celi says his upstart social network can offer a 2007 Twitter community vibe that Elon Musk's platform no longer supplies. By Stephen Levy. In mid 2021, Gabor Celi bought a $15 moleskin notebook to sketch out ideas for new startups. On the first page, he wrote T2 and began taking notes for a better version of Twitter. Celi had sold startups to Google and Twitter and worked at both companies. He was at the time at Google for a second stint as a director at Area 120, its startup incubator, but he couldn't figure out how to draw people away from T1, the original Twitter, and set the idea aside. Then came Elon Musk's Twitter takeover, which saw its new owner lay off over half of Twitter's staff, troll the community with alienating tweets, and speculate about adding features like long form video. It was basically the worst case scenario of how Twitter shouldn't be run, says Chele, who finally did leave Google last summer. He got out just in time. Last month's layoffs essentially defunded Area 120. The time it arrived, he felt to pursue the dream of T2. He finally had his differentiator. His version of Twitter would be more like Twitter in the classic sense. T2 would be less a revamp than a restoration, an attempt to recapture the excitement of early Twitter and build from there. T2, which won't be the final name for the product, is now live in a very limited test version. Nine people work for the company, including Chele's co founder, Sarah O,、oh, who had been an executive in user safety for Facebook and most recently Twitter. Last month, T2 received $1.35 million in angel funding from several well connected Silicon Valley investors. But T2 is far from alone. Jele is talking with me at a bustling WeWork with spectacular views located in Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. 
It could be that maybe half of the bright young techies typing at work tables and sofas are building new social media apps to challenge Twitter or other social apps that have lost their charm in pursuit of mass audiences and ad revenue. T2 faces startup competition from Mastodon, CounterSocial, Post, HiveSocial, and more. All of them have different twists on a short-form social network. None of them are quite as brazen as Chele in claiming to duplicate what was once the thrill of the original. People can't resist futzing with the format, but it works, Chele says. People have a background process in their brains. What is a crispy 280-character thing I can say about this thing that just happened? Why mess with that? And what if you can get that same crispy 280-character thing in front of people who are really relevant to you? I think that'd be pretty cool. It would also be bucking what, in retrospect, seems like a gravitational pull away from social networks being social. The pursuit of the viral has diminished the intimacy of the personal. And as the business models of the early networks focused heavily on delivering audiences for advertisers, they increasingly became a new version of broadcasting. Social networks once obsessed on Dunbar's number, the claim that humans can only meaningfully interact with 150 people they know well. What you saw was determined by who you knew, or who you wanted to know more about. Now Meta, Twitter, and the rest algorithmically connect you to content you may be interested in, which more likely than not involves influencers who spend all their time concocting ways to grab your attention with calorically empty content, or stuff that enrages you. Jelle wants to roll back the clock as if all that never happened. It's kind of retro, he says. Remember what Twitter felt like in 2007 when it was real people sharing things from their life and not airbrushed TikToks? That's where T2 and other startups see an opportunity. Instead of worrying about Dunbar's number, Jelle is more concerned with the Ali threshold, a biological effect named after the ecologist who postulated it. Basically, it states that in any ecosystem, there is a particular number of inhabitants needed to sustain a healthy population. Jelle thinks that T2 will hit the Ali threshold this spring when it includes 5,000 people, enough to generate the level of relevant content needed to keep users engaged. The trick needed for T2 to thrive is for it to host a multiplicity of communities so that the service itself can grow while still maintaining that relevancy for individuals. That idea is taken to an extreme on Mastodon, which immediately forces newcomers to pick what tribe they will be associated with. To make sure that T2's communities are healthy, Chele and his co-founder, Trust and Safety Specialist O, are planning to authenticate users. But they won't be charging $8 for the privilege like Musk's Twitter. Instead, they will actually attempt to confirm users' identities, which will cut down on hostile attacks and harmful misinformation. I think there's a space for building an authenticated network, where you actually are pretty sure that if someone claims to be Stephen Levy on T2, it is actually Stephen Levy, he says. Right now, that's easy because only invited people can join. Later, they may have to check IDs or try to cross-check with other social media accounts. But Chele says that while not everyone might have airtight credentials, certainly those with the equivalent of blue checks will. Chele got me past the waitlist to peek at the just-launched, very alpha version of T2. I'm user number 76, and the total is still in double figures. The app is a clean, chronological feed of comments from testers drawn from personal connections of the founders. Much of the discussion is about T2 itself, as the community workshops the product. 
But the feed also weaved in asynchronous discussions on vegetable gardens, Oxford commas, and the most recent episode of The Last of Us. The minimalism is refreshing, the vibe is welcoming, and it's a relief not to have to pose as or promote something. One user comments that the experience is like a quiet gathering on a large lawn with wine served and a hushed din as guests arrive. But what will happen when giant flat panel screens are installed and hordes of beer guzzlers arrive? That's the hard part. For now, Chelly's team is bathing in an idyllic moment of pure potential. T2 is nascent enough that Chelly can ask around for ideas on its interface, taking a poll to see whether people prefer flat or dimensioned, that is, shaded icons. But it's telling that his poll was not shared exclusively on the double-figured T2 community, but instead was conducted on the noisy scrum of the platform he's supposed to be replacing, owned by Elon Musk. Chele is even planning for T2 to support cross-posting with the rival. Even he realizes that, lost magic or not, T1 will be hard to topple. Time travel. When Twitter was a startup, Jack Dorsey, Noah Glass, Evan Williams, and others had to figure out the rules that would allow the service to reach its own Ali threshold. I wrote about this for Wired in October 2009. When Twitter's creators designed the service, they made a series of crucial and deliberate decisions, ones that seem brilliant in retrospect, that created the conditions that allow users to innovate. The first was a commitment to simplicity. Jack Dorsey suggested a system that mimicked the simplicity of SMS to let users send messages from the web or their cell phones about what they were doing from wherever they were. In March 2006, a small group, including Dorsey and Stone, built a prototype in two weeks. The important thing was that we spent a lot of time getting it down to its essence, says Noah Glass, a co-founder of Odeo who managed the so-called Twitter project. The system would receive a message from the sender and then forward it to the right people. Nothing else. Simple. The second key decision was crucial, creating asymmetry between writers and followers. We didn't need to be friends or in any way on equal footing. Anyone could read a writer's updates, and that was powerfully liberating. One thing I didn't like about social networks was that awkwardness of friend requests, Williams says. He wanted Twitter to be more like blogging, where readers pay attention to whatever they like. That frees up creators because they can do anything they want, he says. The implications were profound and unexpected. No one thought people would want to follow strangers, or that celebrities would use Twitter to appraise fans of their activities, or that businesses would use Twitter to announce discounts or launch new products. Allowing unrestricted following eventually meant that P. Diddy could share the progress of a tantric sex session with 100,000 followers, and the Kennedy family could use Twitter to keep the public informed about developments in Uncle Teddy's funeral. It obliterated the line between confidant and audience. Ask me one thing. Ken asks, 30 years after you first wrote about the crypto wars, privacy is lost, but more to big new corporations than to the government. Does the outcome surprise you? Thanks, Ken. You asked this question in response to a tweet. Yes, people are still getting value from T1, noting that three decades ago, my story Crypto Rebels appeared on the second ever cover of Wired. And in 2001, I wrote a book called Crypto with the subtitle How the Crypto Rebels Beat the Government, Saving Privacy in the Digital Age. Oops. 
Yes, it's true that little brother, meaning private industry, has run rampant over our privacy by collecting vast amount of our personal information. That's not the fault of cryptography, but our own failure to force those companies to use that technology to protect our privacy. But we can take heart that while it has taken a long time for privacy tools to protect consumers, it can happen. It's taken several decades, but several mass market companies like Apple and Meta now routinely encrypt consumer texts and messages so that no outsider can view them. Millions of others use tools like Signal or Telegram. The next step should be to popularize the use of cryptographic authentication techniques to limit the information you share about yourself to what's necessary to complete a given transaction. If you're renting a car, for instance, you could verify that you have a driver's license without sharing the ID number. Or you might share your fandom of a sports team with a social network without tying that information to a more detailed profile or the ID number of your phone. The data profiling industrial complex doesn't want this to happen, so consumers must demand it from tech companies, information brokers, and legislatures that have failed them so far. It may take a while, but the algorithms aren't going anywhere. End Times Chronicle The IRS has a plan to collect taxes after the apocalypse, but the four horsemen will finally take their ride when the tax agency collects a fair share from billionaires. Last but not least... Startups competing with TikTok might not have to worry about competition if the government follows this roadmap to banning it. Not all crypto products are equally secure, as Telegram users in Russia have found out. Who would guess that peaceful villagers in remote rural Scotland would quibble with a billionaire building a fire-belching spaceport in their peat-bog paradise? The ultimate way to duck responsibility, set things up so you can say, the AI did it. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more business news at wired.com slash business. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.